Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Last night was the second of the two debates. I really wanted, I thought it would really be better for us to all discuss the debates in total. Winners and losers, I'll share with you my initial thoughts. Again, I'm not taking a position on who I think needs to be the Democratic candidate. As I've said before, if they resurrected Richard Nixon, I'd probably vote for him over Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our democracy. He was at the G20. And in a press conference with Vladimir Putin, President Putin of Russia, he was asked, would you please tell Mr. Putin not to interfere in our elections? And he's like, oh, sure. And he rolls his eyes. He says, Mr. Putin, will you please not interfere in our elections? And Putin says, well, of course I won't. And they both get a good laugh out of it, right? Obviously, Trump knows. And Jimmy Carter pointed this out, by the way. Jimmy Carter said Trump is an illegitimate president because of Russian interference in the election. And now we know it wasn't just Russia, that Saudi Arabia was in there, that Israel was in there, that the United Arab Emirates was in there, that there were several other countries that appeared to be throwing money into our elections illegally or legally or buying social media or trying to hack into voting systems. God only knows. Mitch McConnell is still blocking legislation that would provide money to states to strengthen their voting systems. You know, we've got a dozen states where they don't even have a paper trail. It's it's impossible to audit. This is apparently just exactly what the Republicans want. It's absolutely nuts. And, you know, I'm most curious about your thoughts on who won and who lost. As I said, my quick take on this, my essentially hot take, as it were, is that Wednesday night's debate, I think that Elizabeth Warren really was the clear... I'm not sure winner is the right word because, like, nobody got really badly slapped down. It was a really uh, rather genteel debate. But Elizabeth Warren, I think, came out even as even a stronger front runner than she already was. But in a way, she was one of the losers of last night's debate because she wasn't there. And so, you know, she dominated about a half a news cycle. And then that was it. You know, she just got wiped out, which is really unfortunate for Warren supporters. But, you know, hopefully that'll be made up. I think that you're going to see a whole bunch of people dropping out or simply not making the cut. Kamala Harris, in my personal opinion, wounded Joe Biden with cause. You know, what she said was legitimate, was correct. And he's not the same Joe Biden he was in the 1970s. But 
I think that she was the, I would say, clear winner of last night's debate. And my respect level and my, boy, am I impressed with level for Kamala Harris pretty much doubled last night. I thought she just did extraordinarily well. I had prior to that thought, yeah, she's a great candidate. I'd be glad to vote for her. But, you know, I wasn't like, boy, would I be excited if she was the candidate. Now I'm thinking that she would make a really great candidate for president. Because one of the things you're looking for is who's going to take down Donald Trump. Well, if you can take down Joe Biden, you could certainly take down Donald Trump, in my opinion. I mean, Trump will be probably a whole lot harder because Biden was being a nice guy and it was the Democratic debate and all that. And you get all that. Biden also had a couple of moments where he appeared to forget what he was saying or where he was going or what his rehearsed lines were. And so he just said, I'm out of time. And this was before his podium had turned red, before they had given him the time cue. So he was clearly, uh, at least in my opinion, trying to bail, which adds to the idea of, you know, this guy's 77, maybe he's starting to, (laughs) here I go, right? Actually, I know what I'm saying, but you know how that works. It's starting to lose thoughts, lose ideas. And that's exactly what it sounds like. And that's what it sounded like to him. And that's, that's not a good thing for a presidential candidate. And Trump, I think, does the same thing, but he's figured out coping strategies. He basically repeats what he was saying, or he just goes off on some other rant. Joe Biden didn't do that last night. I think he got badly hurt. Michael Bennett, the senator from Colorado, who is the one who keeps saying socialism will destroy America and we shouldn't have single payer health care and blah, blah, blah. He's the one who really wants to pick up Joe Biden's mantle for the so-called centrist Democrats. And I think he went, he moved in a forward direction very significantly last night because he was the other one who took a whack at Joe Biden and I think hit him. And this was about the deal where you know, Biden said that he got Mitch McConnell to raise taxes and, you know, uh, yeah, sort of. But Bennett was right about what he said. And in fact, the media is full of rumors that Biden's staff is very unhappy with him right now. Bernie, I thought, did really well. He was just Bernie, the same old guy. He did kind of, I don't want to say blew it, but there was one question, as I recall, it had to do with race and he gave an economic answer and he didn't do the He didn't thread race back into it in a way that would have made it clear that he was answering that question. But that, you know, that was a minor drop. I think that broadly, you know, Bernie did okay. Pete Buttigieg, that was a solid performance. I thought that he's raised his credibility a lot. I still don't think that he's going to be the nominee, and I doubt he'll be the vice presidential nominee. But I think that one of two things is probably going to happen in his career. He's either going to end up running for Senate or governor in Ohio in the next couple of years, depending on what becomes available and when. Or four years from now, if there's not a Democrat in the White House, or eight years from now, if there is, there's a good chance he actually will be a serious nominee for president. I still think his age is working against him. But, you know, you never know. Everybody said, oh, Jack Kennedy can't get elected. He's too young. But Jack Kennedy, as I recall, was 43 or 45 when he became president. And uh, Pete Buttigieg is still in his 30s. So that's going to be a tough one. So those are my thoughts and takes on it. And let's pick up yours. Michael in Denver. Hey, Michael, you wanted to talk about Kamala Harris? Yes, yes. What you just said was absolutely, you know, right on, Tom. And what I wanted to say is quickly here. What she did for me last night, and I'm sure she did for a lot of us who have been lifelong Democrats, I'm sick and tired of hearing, especially from our side, oh, we ought to fear. I know, you know, there's a lot of wackiness out there with this idiocy, this craziness in the White House. But what she did for me was she took my anger, because I am angry. I am not afraid. I am angry. 
and there's a lot of us out here who are like that. She took it upon herself to take my anger to herself last night, and boy, that was a huge weight off of my shoulders. I heard my wife down. See, I didn't watch it. I only watched the snippets afterwards. That's what I wanted to say, Tom. That's what she did for me. Yeah. Well, you said it very well, Michael, and, and I, I suspect a lot of people share your sentiment. Thank you very much for the call. I think she's going to be a very strong contender in this race. There's still more debates. There's still a year, a year to go. So, but it was a fascinating experience. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report. We're on page 110. This is about the June 9th, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower. The Russian attorney who spoke at the meeting, Natalia Veselnitskaya, had previously worked for the Russian government and maintained a relationship with that government throughout this period of time. She claimed that funds derived from illegal activities in Russia were provided to Hillary Clinton and other Democrats. Trump Jr. requested evidence to support those claims, but Veselnitskaya did not provide such information. She and her associates then turned to a critique of the origins of the Magnitsky Act, a 2012 statute that imposed financial and travel sanctions on Russian officials and that resulted in a retaliatory ban on adoptions of Russian children. Trump Jr. suggested that the issue could be revisited when and if candidate Trump was elected. After the election, Veselnitskaya made additional efforts to follow up on the meeting, but the Trump transition team did not engage. Sub A, setting up the June 9 meeting. Sub I, outreach to Donald Trump Jr. Aris Agalarov is a Russian real estate developer with ties to Putin and other members of the Russian government, including Russia's prosecutor general, Yuri Chaika. Aris Agalarov is the president of the Crocus Group, a Russian enterprise that holds substantial Russian government construction contracts and, as discussed above, worked with Trump in connection with the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow and a potential Trump-Moscow real estate project. The relationship continued over time as the parties pursued the Trump-Moscow project in 2013-14 and exchanged gifts and letters in 2016. For example, in April 2016, Trump responded to a letter from R.S. Aglarov with a handwritten note. R.S. Aglarov expressed interest in Trump's campaign, passed on congratulations for winning in the primary, and according to one email drafted by Goldstone, an offer of his support and that of many of his important Russian friends and colleagues, especially in reference to U.S.-Russian relations. On June 3, 2016, Emin Aglarov called Goldstone, Emin's then publicist. Goldstone is a music and events promoter who represented Emin Aglarov from approximately late 2012 until late 2016. While representing Emin Aglarov, Goldstone facilitated the ongoing contact between the Trumps and the Aglarovs, including an invitation that Trump sent to Putin to attend the 2016 Miss Universe pageant. Uh, the rest of that is uh, redacted by Bill Barr. Goldstone understood, redacted by Bill Barr, a Russian political connection, and Emin Aglarov indicated that the attorney was a prosecutor. Goldstone recalled that the information that might interest the Trumps involved Hillary Clinton, and then the rest of the page is redacted by Bill Barr. Page 112, the top paragraph is redacted by Bill Barr. The, redacted by Bill Barr, mentioned by Emin Aglarov was Natalia Veselnitskaya. From approximately 1998 until 2001, Veselnitskaya worked as a prosecutor for the Central Administrative District of the Russian Prosecutor's Office, and she continued to perform government-related work and maintain ties to the Russian government following her departure. She lobbied and testified about the Magnitsky Act, which imposed 
financial sanctions and travel restrictions on Russian officials, and which was named for a Russian tax specialist who exposed a fraud and later died in a Russian prison. Putin called the statute a purely political, unfriendly act, and Russia responded by barring a list of current and former U.S. officials from entering Russia and by halting the adoption of Russian children by U.S. citizens. Veselnitskaya performed legal work for Denis Katsiev, the son of Russian businessman Peter Katsiev, and for his company Prevazon Holdings Limited, which was a defendant in a civil forfeiture action alleging the laundering of proceeds from the fraud exposed by Magnitsky. She also appears to have been involved in an April 2016 approach to a U.S. congressional delegation in Moscow offering confidential information from the Prosecutor General of Russia about interactions between certain political forces in our two countries. Shortly after his June 3rd call with Emin Aglarov, Goldstone, we're on page 113 now, Goldstone emailed Trump Jr. The email stated, Good morning. Emin just called and asked me to contact you with something very interesting. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Eris, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump, helped along by Aris and Emin. What do you think is the best way to handle this information, and would you be able to speak to Emin about it directly? I can also send this info to your father via Rona, but it is ultra-sensitive, so I wanted to send to you first. Best, Rob Goldstone. Within minutes of this email, Trump Jr. responded, emailing back, Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. I am on the road at the moment, but perhaps I just speak to Emin first. Seems we have some time, and if it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Can we do a call first thing next week when I am back? Goldstone conveyed Trump Jr.'s interest to Emin Aglarov, emailing that Trump Jr., quote, wants to speak personally on the issue. On June 6, 2016, Emin Aglarov asked Goldstone if there was any news, and Goldstone explained that Trump Jr. was likely still traveling for the final elections, where Trump will be crowned the official nominee. On the same day, Goldstone again emailed Trump Jr. and asked whether Trump Jr. was free to talk with Emin about this Hillary info. Page 114 now. Trump Jr. asked if they could speak now, and Goldstone arranged a call between Trump Jr. and Emin Aglarov. The Mueller Report. So for Father's Day, uh, Louise and I went out and climbed a mountain. Well, part of one. <laughs> and boy, am I sore. And, uh, you know, then I had to go back and sit in my, in my office chair. And, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm working on this next book. And it's like, ah, why? Because it's the X chair. The X chair provides customized support in an office chair. I mean, when it comes to supporting perfect posture, providing ideal back support, no office chair compares to the X chair. The secret is the X chair's dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL. This patented feature is what sets the X chair apart from every other office chair in the world. Ideal posture and support equals comfort, and when you're comfortable, the hours spent in the office honestly fly by. Feel the DVL difference for yourself. Try an X chair for 30 days completely risk-free. X chair is on sale now for a hundred bucks off. Go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. You can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X wheels for your X chair. That's xchairtom.com xchairtom.com
We're going to get into this question of how do we stop Donald Trump from essentially raping humanity? And I will explain that phrase. Is America facing a crisis of mental illness right now as a consequence of Donald Trump being in the White House for two and a half years, as a consequence of the Trump regime? When I was in Los Angeles, an acquaintance of mine, somebody I've known for some years who's in the news business, you know, I'm not going to name, he made a comment to me that he's feeling so stressed by Trump, he feels like he has to check his phone every half hour and make sure that Trump hasn't started a war. And, you know, and in the news business, it's just, you know, it's making him crazy. And he was asking for suggestions to de-stress. It's like, you know, should I start meditating? I mean, how do I deal with this? And my response was, we have to all of us, we have to examine essentially the stories we're telling ourselves about what all this means. In other words, the internal dialogue we have. If Trump goes off and is nuts on something like he did with Iran, then our internal response, well, yeah, you know, that might trigger World War III and that might be the end of humanity. And I suppose that's a better way to die than a long, prolonged cancer. That's a pretty grim story to be telling yourself. Or alternatively, the one I tell myself, is this country's been to hell and back. We fought World War II, we fought the fascists, we fought the Nazis, we had a civil war and we made it through that. We have ended slavery, we enfranchised women, we had a horrible revolutionary war that started the country. We have not, in my opinion, yet reconciled ourselves to either slavery nor the genocide of Native Americans, but you know, hey, hope springs eternal. That's one thought, but if you're struggling with this, and you have suggestions on how to cope with it, or you've discovered some great way to cope with Trump. I, the other way, in my experience, to cope with the insanity of Donald Trump is to get active. It's amazing how therapeutic it is to feel like you're having an impact, like you're doing something worthwhile. Even if you're just waking up your next door neighbor, your best friend, your brother, sister, mother, father, child, old college roommate, somebody at work in the next cubicle, even just that, this is therapy. This is how we have to deal with the age of Trump. And action, you know, at the end of every show, I say, and don't forget, democracy begins with you. It's not a spectator sport. You've got to get out there and get active, tag your it. I mean, that's how I've been ending my show for 15 years. And I do it not just because, you know, hey, it sounds kind of cute or whatever like that, but because it's really true. One of the most effective ways to just like deal with the anxiety, the stress, the oh my God, what's going on of Donald Trump is to do something about it. And I think, you know, all those women who came out after the inauguration with the pussy hats on, you know, the pink hats, this is great stuff. This is not only how we take back our country, but it's also how we take back our sanity, in my opinion. But, you know, Trump, he just flipped out again. You know, Iran didn't get the memo from Kim Jong-un, right? or from Saudi Arabia. If you want to have a good relationship with the United States, and let me just say this, you know, I'm sure that President Rouhani already knows this and Foreign Minister Sharif, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, already knows this, but this is a message for the Ayatollahs in Iran, for the Supreme Ayatollah and all of his buddies. What y'all need to do is create some kind of a giant award for Donald Trump as best president ever. And you need to write him a letter saying, Dear Donald, you've done such a great job in the United States and great work on keeping people out at your southern border. We have strong protection for our borders. We understand that. And we think that you are the best president ever. Signed, love the Ayatollah and printed on a big piece of parchment, you know, with some scroll work around the edge, like an old illuminated manuscript and mail that off. 
by Courier to Donald Trump the same way that Kim Jong-un does it. I mean, here you've got Kim who actually has nuclear weapons, who's actually testing nuclear weapons, who's got, now we know, missiles, you know, high accuracy ballistic missiles and things. He's violating every treaty that there ever was, more or less. And yet Trump is like, oh, he's a wonderful man. So Ayatollahs, take a lesson. Continuing on the Trump thing, I've got so much here. E. Jean Carroll has accused him of rape. We talked about this in the program in the context of how little media coverage it's getting. Now, you know, with the head guy at the New York Times in an interview, he admitted that they blew it. It really needs to be at the top of the front page. But Trump comes out and says that he would never rape her because she's not his type, which raises the question. And again, I don't know why the media, I mean, can you imagine if Obama had said, you know, oh, I'd never rape her. She's not my type. Well, what type do you rape, Donald? I mean, really? You know, of the other 20 or so women who have claimed that you've raped them, you know, which one? Pick one out. Tell us. We'd like to know. This is just mind-boggling. And then on top of that, we have the reality of Trump's America. Eugene Robinson wrote a great piece about this. He says, Donald Trump's immigration policy has crossed the line from gratuitous cruelty to flat-out sadism. Perhaps he enjoys seeing innocent children warehoused in filth and squalor. Perhaps he thinks that's what America is all about. Is he right, Trump supporters? Is he right, Republicans in Congress? Hey, if you're a Trump supporter and listening to the show, is Donald Trump right about torturing children like this, essentially? I mean, if a regular parent, if you or me, had made one of our children sleep on a cement floor in the basement, kept the lights on 24-7, and refused to give that child a toothbrush, soap, blankets, bedding, or fresh clothing, we'd be in jail for child abuse, and our kid would be in foster care just like that. But Donald Trump, I mean, he's doing this. I think he actually likes the cruelty. I think this man is literally a sadist. Puerto Rico, still waiting on approved emergency food aid. Congress passed this. Trump signed it. And Bernie Sanders is out like, you know, why are you holding this money back? This is nuts. Trump has failed us on the climate crisis, on the war hawking in Iran, on inequality, on a housing crisis, on economic issues, the economic crisis on women's issues. And it could get worse. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And keep in mind, Anne Frank, as Nate pointed out to me yesterday, wasn't gassed. She died of typhus due to poor sanitation in a camp, just like the Trump camps. So my first question is, have any of your friends come to you and said, I don't know what to do. I'm freaked out. Are you hearing from people that they are freaked out by the Trump camps? or by any other part of Donald Trump's behavior, by his raping women, by his being a con man. I mean, look at the Trump University. I mean, this is pretty mind-boggling. Trump University, he had to pay a $25 million fine for fraud. The guy's a convicted grifter, a convicted fraudster. People convicted of fraud, that's, you know, literally we call them grifters, they're hustlers. This is the president of the United States. Well, he's at least the guy sitting in the White House. He lost by three million votes, as we all know. But have you had friends confide to you that they're having a problem with this? Are you hearing from people that, that they're in crisis? I just find this, this whole thing just astonishing that Donald Trump is so far getting away with all this. What can we do? Well, obviously, we need to vote him out. Obviously, we need the 80th Democrat now has called for an impeachment hearing. So we now have the 80th Democrat saying, yeah, let's have an impeachment hearing. 
It seems to me like all 200 and whatever it is, 218 or whatever, however many Democrats, 220, I think we have in the House of Representatives, seems to me like all of them should be calling for impeachment hearings, shouldn't they? I mean, how do you get this guy out of office? We are like literally on the edge of World War III. It's mind boggling. This man, you know, when he says, oh, I didn't rape E. Jean Carroll because, quote, she's not my type. Well, he, you know, so he's saying he has a type to rape. Men like that view not just women as objects. In my opinion, they view humans as objects. They view everything as objects. They think that they're the only real human being in the world, the only, the one and only person who actually feels things. And I mean, this is called sociopathy. We're going to be talking with Dr. Justin Frank specifically about this, the psychiatrist from George Washington University. And he's threatening, you know, Iran with obliteration. We've been talking about mental health. How do people cope with this? And I've suggested a bunch of coping strategies. The sense that some people feel of powerlessness and helplessness. I was telling the story of a friend of mine who's in the news business that I met when I was in Los Angeles. And he said, you know, I'm just freaked out by this whole Trump thing. I don't know what to do about it. It seems scary, if nothing else. I'm checking my phone 10 times a day. I'm experiencing anxiety. What do I do? And my answer was get active. Deb in Saginaw, Michigan. Hey, Deb, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to make a comment about when you were talking about how Americans are feeling like mental disabilities or depression or anxiety going on in America. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I recently watched a movie that I don't know if you're familiar with. It's called Side Effects. And there was a quote no. in the movie and I'd like to share it with you and your listeners and see what you guys think about this. But the quote is, depression is the inability to construct a future. Oh, wow. And I think what's let me, going... Go ahead. Let me explain something about that to you. This is something that I learned in my training as an NLP practitioner and trainer. Most people, if you ask them, just ask them, say, where is your future? literally point to it and they will point in front of themselves typically they'll point in front of themselves some people will point up into the right some people will point up into the left occasionally you'll get people who will point to the sides and things but the few people and I've been through this exercise with probably a hundred people the few people who say I don't see a future are always the people who are depressed so that's brilliant Deb I'm gonna riff about that a little bit on the break I'm sorry we're running out of time here but that is brilliant thank you so much for the call and thanks for watching us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I was uh, just talking to a, a listener, Deb, who was saying that depression is the inability to construct a future. And I was telling her the story that in my NLP training, there's this thing called timelines. And in fact, Louise is an expert at this. When she was a coach for business people with ADHD and family crises and things, she used to work with this all the time. And that is that if you ask a person, and you can just do this exercise yourself, you know, where is your future? And most people point out in front of themselves. And then you say, where is your past? And most people point behind themselves. And some people have their future like off to the side. I actually had one person in a class one time, I you know, I have everybody in the class do this, who said that his future was behind him. And I said, well, just grab a hold of it and move it around in front of you. And all of a sudden his face just lit up and he was like, whoa, I see my future now. 
And some people have told me that their past, instead of being behind them, it's in front of them. They can see their past continuously. And those people tend to be filled with anxiety or actually typically filled with regret or shame. And for them, you say, well, take that past that's in front of you and just swing it around behind you and just leave it back there. And you can literally do this. I mean, sometimes you have to do the exercise four or five times for it to stick. But she said, you know, the depression is the inability to construct a future. And the few people that I have personally done this, you know, I used to teach classes on this stuff, you know, and you get 100 people in a room and everybody's doing it and you're having people share their experiences. The few people who would say, I can't see my future. I have no idea where my future is. I can't see it. You dig a little bit deeper, you almost always find that they are actually clinically depressed. They're experiencing depression and typically have for much of their lives. They never learned how to put a future in front of themselves. And there's a way to do that. In fact, Google Timeline Therapy, NLP, you'll find all the methods and techniques. But that was brilliant. That was just so brilliant. Kids dead so far in Donald Trump's concentration camps. Let's say their names, right? Jacqueline Cal McKean, seven years old. Philippe Alonso Gomez, eight years old. Marie Juarez, 20 months old, dead in Trump camps. And let's call these concentration camps. We're calling them Trump camps. Carlos Hernandez Vasquez, 16, dead in the Trump camp. Wilmer Jose Ramirez Vasquez, two, two years old, dead in the Trump camp. Juan de Leon Gutierrez, 16, dead in the Trump camp. Now, there's another topic that I wanted to also bring up and get your thoughts and calls on, and that is the Billionaires Club has sent out a message. A letter that was published on the website medium.com calls for, quote, a moderate wealth tax on the fortunes of the richest one-tenth of the richest 1% of Americans, dash, on us, end quote. And the letter is, it's addressed to all of the uh, candidates for president, specifically the Democrats. And, and it specifically refers to Elizabeth Warren's plan for a wealth tax. Now, a wealth tax is different than an income tax. An income tax is where your income, your paycheck, is taxed. A wealth tax is where your actual wealth is taxed. And this would include stocks, bonds, yachts, cars, art, things like that. And she thinks that this tax, the estimate that Elizabeth Warren has put together, I shouldn't say she thinks. I mean, she's run the math on this. She's really a great piece on her in the New York Times, by the way. And she said it would affect 75,000 families and it would raise $2.75 trillion over 10 years. The Federal Reserve found that just in the last three decades, this is a a new report from the Federal Reserve, the wealthiest 1% of Americans saw their net worth grow by $21 trillion. Now, the wealth, this is what you own. This is not your paycheck. While the wealth of the bottom 50% fell by $900 billion. Where did it go? It was stolen, essentially, in my opinion. The richest 1%, one-tenth of 1% of Americans will pay 3.2% of their wealth in taxes this year compared to 7.2% paid by the bottom 99%. To get that, I mean, this is because, you know, Reagan changed our tax laws, George W. Bush doubled down on it, and then Donald Trump tripled down on it, right? So the very richest of Americans, the ones who some of them just signed this letter, including, uh, I think her name is Abigail Disney, the heir to the Disney fortune saying, yes, tax my wealth, not just my paycheck, but my wealth, because the taxes paid this year will equal 3.2% of the wealth of the richest one-tenth of Americans, but 7% of the wealth of the bottom 99%. 
fact, a quote from this study, the next dollar of new tax revenue should come from the most financially fortunate, not from middle income and lower income Americans. Oh, this is from the letter from the billionaires. And a wealth tax like this could help deal with problems like the lack of childcare, educational debt, the opioid crisis, the climate crisis, all kinds of cool stuff. By the way, Corey, the guy who's the program director here, does his own podcast. It's called The Dumpster Fire. It's on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And he calls it The Dumpster Fire because it's all about the dumpster fire that's the Trump administration. On Twitter, he's The DF Show, as in dumpster fire, The DF Show on Twitter. And I'm going to have to go over there and follow him during the break. And it's all about how Trump and his administration handles any situation. It's always a dumpster fire. So it's like, <laughs> this is amazing. People all over the country are, you know, they're starting podcasts, you know, as Corey has done with the Dumpster Fire podcast. People starting blogs, people participating in interactive forums like, you know, from Democratic Underground to uh, Daily Kos to, you know, commenting on stories over at Alternate and Common Dreams and things like that to, you know, going door to door. Like I said, this is therapy. The best therapy, literally, ask any psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychotherapist, the best therapy for a feeling of of essentially impotence, a a feeling of the inability to to accomplish something, a a lack of, a feeling of powerlessness, a feeling that the world is spinning out of control and there's nothing you can do about it. The best therapy for that is to get active, to get out there. You know, the old tag you're it to do something. So start thinking about what could I do? Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. You're listening to Tom Hartman. And on the line with us is our old buddy, Dr. Justin Frank. He's an MD. He's a psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University. He's the author of Trump on the Couch, Bush on the Couch, Obama on the Couch. His Twitter handle is Justin Frank MD, as you might recall. And Dr. Frank, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's great to be back here. I'm worried there might be an echo with this way I've set up the phone. Does it sound okay for you? No, it sounds just fine. What's happening is I'm doing this show remotely, and there's about a one-second time delay. It's called latency, and we're just going to have to work around it, so it's not a problem. We've been having a conversation here about how it seems that Donald Trump actually is enjoying the cruelty that he's inflicting on these children at the border, and that you know he's threatening now to annihilate Iran because they called him a moron or a mentally retarded person. You have some new thoughts on Donald Trump and what's motivating him and driving him. You want to share that with us? Sure. Many of my findings 
were in the book Trump on the Couch. But the one of them that was not really emphasized until now is, I guess I ended one chapter by saying that Trump always lies either to improve his position or to make a sale or all of that. But I wrote at the end of that chapter on lying that he is now in the position of lying to save his life, certainly to save his job. And that was written a year ago or more. And I think that right now, the form that lying is taking, it's not really exactly lying, is that he has a deep, unconscious, ongoing fantasy or thought about himself that he is invincible, that he is God, that when he says make America great again, it means that he is going to make America great again. It means that it's all up to him. He's the kind of person who, as a father, would scare a child before they go to bed, then come in when the child has a nightmare and turn on the lights and say, I'm going to save you and make everything better. This is a form of a God complex that was first described many, many years ago by a psychoanalyst, a colleague of Freud's named Ernest Jones. And he called it the God complex in 1913. And some of the characteristics are that, A, it's unconscious. B, that people who have it are extremely vague about what they're going to do. But they always promise things in the future. Mm -hmm. And C, that they feel that they can control everything, that they have uh, direct access to the best information, the best courses of action. And that gets increased over time when a person feels threatened, when a person feels uncomfortable. So they move into more of an active God complex behavior. So what Trump did with Iran, bringing us to the brink, as he said, and then calling back the planes, as he said, saying that he could obliterate them, that he alone can do that. It is really very, very dangerous to have a person who thinks like that as president of the United States. It's bad enough to have them as a CEO or bad enough to have them as a parent. But he is really up against it. And there's a feeling that I have that clinically he is deeply disturbed because these unconscious fantasies, I think, are dominating his conscious life. Wow. Yeah, we are getting a little bit of an echo. Okay, well, here, I'll do it like this. He, I'll have to be hold the phone like this. Yeah, that's... Are you still getting an echo, or is that better? Yeah. He shrugs off what happened to Kosoji, for instance, or he shrugs off right. even the internment camps that are going on in the south of the border, as if they're not his concern. He's above it. It is a very disturbing thing because what happens when you have a person like this as president, nothing can reach him except some threat of exposure. But otherwise, nothing can reach him. Facts do not matter. Whatever you say is easily dismissed. It's as if I'm holding this phone, but it would be as if if you were going to start to talk to me, Tom, I would have a filter in my ear that would say, blah, 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 Dr. Frank, blah, 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 Dr. Frank. That's all I would hear. That's all he hears. Blah, 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 Donald Trump. Blah, 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 blah. That's how his mind works right now. It is very disturbing. So you are a clinical professor 
at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George yeah. Washington University at the medical school. Yeah. And, and for you are saying out loud on this program that Donald Trump is mentally ill and that that mental illness is actually a threat to, to our republic? To the that world? is exactly what I'm saying. He is a threat to our republic and somebody needs to help quarantine him or muzzle him or help him calm down. He is the president and it's very hard to do any of these things. But basically, he's the kind of person who, I mean, I taught a seminar for 10 years at GW called The Psychopathology of the Psychoses. It was about the psychodynamics that underlie psychotic thinking and psychotic behavior. And Trump fits right very well into that course that I taught years ago. He would be the poster boy for that course. He's a disturbed person, and just because a person looks semi-normal, and can wear a long red tie and tie his shoes and dress up and even talk in a meeting. If you listen carefully to what he says and to his tweets, you'll see all kinds of cracks in what he says and in what he tweets. You'll see a lot of particular defense mechanisms in action. One of them is called projection, where he accuses somebody else of doing something he does. It's an unconscious process. But the second thing you'll see is what's called delusional projection, which you only see in psychosis, which is what he's saying when he talks about it being a witch hunt. The witch hunt talk is actually something he sort of liked at first, but it's moved into a kind of delusional projection because he was the one who was doing a witch hunt on Obama with birthers. He was the one who was doing all of these things in the past with his father as a child. So it's a delusional projection. He really believes it. He believes it's a witch hunt. He's not just saying that. And I think that that kind of belief system is extremely dangerous. I don't know what to say about it more. I mean, I would, yeah. you know, if you were my Especially patient, with regard to Iran. Yes, with regard to Iran. This could be uh, World War III. Because we have and a psychotic president. Well, it's like having a person, when I had people on the inpatient service, when I was running the ward at GW, some patients would say, doctor, you're putting us in jail. You're not giving us a pass to go out of the hospital and walk around. And I would have to say to them, wait a minute, you put yourself in this hospital by your behavior of assaulting a policeman or whatever they did, and you put yourself here. And so to say, I'm not allowing you out makes me responsible when you're the one who's responsible. Trump is the one who stopped the treaty with Iran. He's the one who's responsible for this escalation. Yeah, absolutely right. Dr. Justin Frank, thank you so much for being with us, sir. Jill in Long Beach, California. Hey, Jill, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? People have started talking to me that have never said anything political to me, like out of the blue. My friend just said to me yesterday, uh, I said, we need to talk and have coffee sometimes. And she said, I'm just going to say one thing. I can't stand what Trump is doing to these children at the border. And she's never said anything political to me before. And also another friend who's never been political. So the thing with the children is really, really getting to people now. 
And yeah. so I've never had them say anything to me about Trump before, ever. And the second thing I wanted to talk about activism, the only way that a major progressive thing has ever been passed in the United States has been with national organizations, civil rights, women's mm -hmm. rights. There needs to be national organization and marches in the street to stop like climate change, you know, around the immigration issue. Yeah. And I can take my answer offline if you what your thoughts are about that, if you know anything about that and how to get into that. Because everything that's ever been done progressively, big things, has been caused of, you know, people taking to the street in a national organized manner. So that was my... Yeah. Those there are great groups out there. If you're just kind of broadly anti-Trump, you've got indivisible.org, you've got moveon.org, you've got ourrevolution.com, I believe it is. There's Democracy for America. I mean, there's just a bunch of very, very good groups out there that are doing great work, not to mention the Democratic Party, but in terms of organizing groups, I, I agree with you, Jill. And I would track down or find a, a good group that you think is close to your heart, that represents your values, and see what they're up to. This is a time for us to really be searching out these groups and participating as much as we possibly can. Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? So I've gone to see a psychologist twice now yeah. because of you know, family issues and my work is volatile. But she asked me, so why are you here? And I said, well... I'm not handling this very well. You know, Trump is daily. I'm checking my phone. You know, what did he do? Like you said, I've gone twice now and I haven't gone again yet because her ultimate sort of response was, and I'm not faulting her per se, but the ultimate response was like, you know, get a hobby and turn off the news and focus on other oh, things. Geez. But to me, if for some reasons you're depressed or scared or sad or whatever, that works. But in this case, all the nasty, horrible stuff is still happening, even if I turn off the news and, and don't pay attention. And that scares the heck out of me. So I don't know what to do. Yeah. So, well, there's a couple of strategies. As I, as I mentioned earlier in the hour, you know, get active. That's incredibly therapeutic. I mean, it, to the best of my, this is the story of my life. You know, it, it, when, I, when I see something I'm outraged about, I try to do something about it. That makes you feel so much better, number one. Number two, you know, construct a positive future for yourself and put it out in front of yourself. And number three, you know, sometimes her advice is good. Louise and I have some friends who have a, a new baby. And uh, Louise was uh, talking with them a couple of days ago about, uh, she brought up the topic of Trump and they just said, we don't want to hear about it. We have decided, you know, we're going to, of course, we're going to vote Democratic, which is one of the more important things we can do and, and we'll support progressive candidates. But we've just stopped watching the news because we've got this, this year old baby and we really want to focus all our attention on her. And so for some people, some people can do that. Some people can't, you know, Dale Carnegie calls it in his book, uh, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which is an absolutely, buying that book and reading that book is probably in terms of value about as good as two or three sessions with a good therapist. It's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. It was written back in the 1930s and it's still one of the very best books that's ever been written on psychology and, and coping. And he calls it Living in Daytight Compartments. And he tells a story around it. And basically it's that, you know, you just say, okay, today I'm going to do the best I can with today and I'm not going to worry about tomorrow and I'm not going to wallow in regret about the past. I will learn from my past and, you know, the shame or guilt or whatever or just disappointment in our past, you know, we, we just put that behind you 
it doesn't cease to exist. We can, we can learn from it. But let's put a positive future in front of us. But, but for today, and this is sort of the, 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 you know, the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, one day at a time. Live in a daytight compartment. It's a really useful thing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. If you believe that you're not being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're wrong. Hackers, governments, and ad companies all slurp up your data. That's why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps use powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the internet just like you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your online privacy just like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com Tom for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom. Tom to learn more. Joe in Cupertino, California. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? You know, this topic is really tough for me. I've had a lot of anxiety since, uh, what, 2016. Right now, I've had to deal with this by, you know, pretty much, well, listening to you and maybe Amy, and I got to get away from MSN. I can't watch TV. I can't stand to hear about these children. I have two kids that yeah. stay home. I love my children. I'm, the only way I'm able to do this is look into them and read books. I bought a book for 27 bucks. I'm reading it. I listen to you. What am I on page? About 105. But I mean, I can't stomach listening to what's going on and not do anything about it. And sitting and waiting till what is, I guess, July 12th is a little too long. I don't know how many kids are going to be lost between now and whenever we decide we're going to do something about it. But times of the essence here is you read stories about how the Germans didn't realize that this was happening right in front of their eyes until it happened and it was too late. I'm afraid we passed that line a while ago and if we don't do something soon, I feel like my hands have got blood on them. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. just too sad to think about. And, you know, I, I'm here and I, I, I sure my eyes well up and when I'm listening to these people. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that infuriates me is when I watch network television, particularly cable TV, and they talk about these issues and they don't offer solutions. They don't have people on who are talking about what you can do about it. And that leaves people feeling powerless, which is exactly what Trump and the Republicans want. Tonight you don't see the power that come because you're, you're seeing, you know, very progressive part of uh, the country here. And I'm just hoping that, you know, we can make this change happen more if we lose any more children. There you go. There you go. Joe, thanks a lot for the call. James in Spokane, Washington. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? I just want to point out that these people that are striving to become very wealthy, it has to be recognized that they got a lot of ego and a lot of ego defense mechanisms, and I wish people generally knew more about that. But they're often as psychotic somebody striving for a billion dollars, want to control that much power. They're as psychotic as Jeffrey Dahmer. The only difference is they're not collecting heads. Yeah, they're collecting cash. It's, it's Scrooge McDuck and his money bin. It's, it's distorting everything so badly. And the growth of the profits is so exponential and cannot be supported in any way. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm absolutely with you. 
You know, I've talked before about hoarding syndrome. There's this condition, it's in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. It's a kind of a subset of obsessive compulsive disorder where people just hoard everything. You see these people who's, in fact, they did a TV show about it, hoarders, where you can't even make your way through their living room because they got newspapers piled up to the ceiling and their kitchen is filled with old empty tin cans and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, some people came out of the Great Depression so badly damaged by the lack of everything that they just kind of kept everything. My dad and mom were like that. Dad had 20,000 books in his basement. He couldn't bear to part with one. But it wasn't hoarding syndrome. It, you know, the house was not uninhabitable. The basic psychology is, you know, many of the people successful in any field are compulsive neurotic. They're compulsively driven. That is why they're successful in that field. But it has to be recognized. Yeah. There's mental illness there. Yeah. And James, thank you for the call. One of the things that we know, by the way, you know, and there's a great book, Snakes and Suits, that talks about this, is that increasingly at the highest levels of corporate governance, CEOs, that the number of psychopaths that you find among CEOs is dramatically higher than the number of psychopaths you find in the general population. Jackie in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Hey, Jackie, what's on your mind today? I think just had a question regarding Nancy Pelosi and what Dr. Justin was just talking about an impeachment. Has anyone talked to her? I know some people say that she's doing the right thing by not allowing impeachment politically, but Trump does so much damage every day, and he really is psychotic. I mean, and has anyone ever discussed this point with her to see whether it's still worth not doing impeachment? You know, we got the either 70th or 80th member Democrat in the U.S. House of Representatives saying open an impeachment inquiry. When that number gets probably over about 120 or 130, more than half the caucus, at that point, I don't see how Nancy Pelosi can ignore it. So you think it has to get to that point first? In all probability, it will, yeah. I think so. Okay. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Jackie. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Uh, I've got a caller here in the 360 area code. You want to tell me your name and where you're calling from? Yeah, Fred Bremerton. I've talked to you before, Tom. Hey, Fred. I yeah, appreciate what's you on your mind? taking my call. I'm a liberal who loves democracy. I'm a liberal who enjoys what the freedoms we have. I'm not a pigmented person. I don't look at people because of their skin color. I look at it because what's coming out of their mouth. The first day mm -hmm. of the inauguration that, that that comb over started speaking, I knew the first sentence out of his mouth. It was going to be a bad four years. He makes no yeah. sense about anything he talks about. How can a man with so much so-called money and power take it upon himself to be such a meite? He's it's all about him. He cares nothing about our country. Remember when that yeah. that war of the worlds. Everybody got yeah, scared of what they heard on the radio. It's happening again. Yeah. I really believe yeah. that America, oh, God, I got so much to say to you. I want the people of America to know that there is a war going on. I've lived in the South, as have you. You know that there are a lot of white crackers down there that would love to have nothing more than white people running this country. Yeah, white people have been running this country for a long, long time and continue to. And even when white people are no longer a majority, there's going to be probably a generation where white people are hanging on to that kind of power. But I get what you're saying. Thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Dave in Chicago. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you're talking about depression and things that make you feel good. I gave $25 last week to the dump Mitch 
website, and I felt hmm. so good all day long. Yeah, instead of going to a website like that, go to the website of the, there's a Democrat who has declared that, I believe it's a woman, that she is going to be challenging him as a Democrat. Now, I don't know, you know, how the Democratic primary is going to work out in Kentucky, and I don't know how far we are from it and all that kind of stuff. But usually giving money directly to candidates is much safer. Sometimes you get websites where, you know, the administrative costs or whatever, some of them are scams. Sometimes the administrative costs are so high that not a lot of money is going off to the candidate. But I get what you're saying, Dave. I'm just not familiar with that. It may be a great website. Yeah, I'll have to look for that woman and see if I can give her some money, too, when I'm feeling down. Yeah, there you go. Because, you know, what you're talking about is what I've been talking about, which is the best way to deal with this stuff is to do something. Dave, thanks a lot for the call. It's very therapeutic to do something. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. We're reading from Walking Your Blues Away, How to Heal the Mind and Create Emotional Well-Being from Chapter 1, How Trauma Sticks and the Mechanism of PTSD. One of the enduring mysteries in the field of psychology is why the same event produces such different memories and responses in different people. Citing a report in the New England Journal of Medicine, the writer noted the researchers surveyed more than 6,000 soldiers in the month before and after service in Iraq and Afghanistan. Almost 17% of those who fought in Iraq reported symptoms of major depression, severe anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with 11% of the troops who served in Afghanistan. In World War II, post-war depression and anxiety was called battle fatigue. In World War I, we called it shell shock. The question isn't so much why it happens. We know GIs in war do and see horrific things. The question that perplexes us is why post-war anxiety and depression haunts some veterans and not others. Of course, some vets see harder combat than others, but even that doesn't account for the statistics. There are still huge variations among individual soldiers in how they respond to the same event. The same is true in the civilian world. Some people develop PTSD and others don't, facing the exact same circumstances. In order to understand why some people are still shocked months and even years after a traumatic event, it's necessary to first understand how the brain and mind processes trauma. The brain is a complex collection of deeply interconnected parts and processes. I'm vastly oversimplifying here for the purpose of description. And in light of those caveats, here's a possible scenario that's not inconsistent with much of what's known about brain function. There's a part of the limbic brain, or visceral brain, called the hippocampus that's believed to function as a one-day scratch pad for memory. Everything you experience throughout the day is stored in the hippocampus. In order for the impressions of the experience to become a long-term memory, they must pass through the hippocampus into the rest of the brain. People with a damaged hippocampus remember past events but have extreme difficulty learning new things. Although the rest of the brain is able to integrate recent information from the hippocampus in relation to stored memories, in order to understand that one thing happened a week ago and another thing happened a month ago, the hippocampus knows only one time, today. During the night as we sleep, the hippocampus dumps its information from the day into the rest of the brain for processing, sorting, storing, and disposing of irrelevant information. As the brain is processing the details of the day from the hippocampus, we experience what we call dreaming. Many sleep researchers are convinced that when we experience REM sleep, most of the events, including the traumas of our daily life, are processed. The processing of information management completed. When we wake up in the morning, the hippocampus is once again empty and ready to record another day. The problem emerges when the hippocampus is carrying information that's too much or too hot for the larger brain slash mind to handle. When a recent memory is too strong to be easily and unremarkably processed, it presents in our dream world as a nightmare. 
If that still doesn't download the information from the hippocampus, then the trauma either becomes buried in the subconscious, a process Freud referred to as repression, or it gets thrown back into the hippocampus the next morning. It's as if the brain says, whoa, that's too much for me to process in one evening. Please hang on to it for another day. When the person wakes up in the morning, the information is still there in the hippocampus, still remembered and known and felt as if it happened that same very day. The conjecture that the hippocampus knows little about the more distant past accounts for the unique feature of true PTSD that the person feels every day as if the past event happened today, or at least in the very recent past. The trauma is always front, center, new, fresh, and raw. The consequences can be psychologically and emotionally devastating. Every day is affected by a past event. The traumatic event never passes from now until then and is never processed and filed away in the memory banks where it loses the power to cause pain and problems on a daily basis. The impact of this on the mind and the emotions is staggering. Brain scans even demonstrate that before a PTSD event has been processed, the amygdala, a part of the brain responsible for strong emotional states such as those involved with survival or the perception of a threat to survival, and the hippocampus are not functioning normally. The brain scan makes it possible to, in a way, see the effect of the stuck memory. After processing the memory, these parts of the brain usually return to normal functioning. One of the key concepts of many schools of psychology is that human beings are most functional when every part of the mind has access to all other parts. In particular, this functionality is a matter of having full access to positive resources, such as memories of times when we were successful in our undertakings and the good feelings we associate with those accomplishments. Working from this level of functionality, then, when we take on a new task, for example, we first remember times in the past when we attempted something similar and accomplished our goals. This functionality can be accessed in all endeavors, from embarking on a new love relationship to making your first public speaking engagement. Memories of past accomplishments and capabilities are stored in parts of the brain far from the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus, part of our brain's most primary and primitive structures, lie deep in the brain. Thus, having a negative memory stuck deep in the hippocampus blocks the pain and fear associated with that memory from reaching and associating with positive memories and resource states, which are housed in more distant parts of the brain. So, in other words, if we don't get these traumatic memories out of the hippocampus, then everything coming in gets filtered through that and blocked having access to resource states that can help and heal us. So, the rest of the book is how to get that stuff out of the hippocampus. The book is Walking Your Blues Away. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 